Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober. The podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi there, welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. And it's Mandy today and I am really delighted to be welcoming um, Harrison Ward, who you might know on Instagram as Fell Foodie, um, to the podcast. So hi, Harrison, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, pleasure. Yeah, so we're going to dive into a bit of your story and, and also, you know, the kind of the connection with nature and, you know, the work that you do and in keeping yourself well, you know, which I've kind of followed for a while in admiration and also like, yeah, like, oh, I wish I <laughs> went outside more and did things like that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's part of uh, the future plans. I'd love to become a hiker in my, you know, dream life. Um, so we always sort of start with a check in just to see how you're doing. So how are you doing today? Very good, thank you. Yeah, not so much on so far today, but I'm um, doing okay. How about yourself? Yeah, pretty good. I was just saying before that um, we've got a new puppy. Um, <laughs> kind of playing havoc with any organisation skills or sleep schedules or anything. So I'm all right. But um, yeah, navigating yeah. <laughs> navigating a new uh, yeah a new thing. But anyway, um, so we always start a bit with your, you know, your decision to stop drinking alcohol so can you tell us a little bit about that and a little bit about your sobriety journey please absolutely yeah completely I mean so I've been um sober just over five years now Uh, congratulations thank you very much thank you it's um yeah it's a different life really altogether it's um it was something that I suppose came into my life at sort of 18 really as it does with most people I wasn't sort of the person who'd be you know sneaking alcohol at the house or anything or through childhood but it was very much through through work initially. I mean, I worked a lot in the hospitality trade, so I was in sort of uh, working through the kitchens, then to waiting on, and then behind the bar once I got to sort of 18, and quickly fell into that sort of culture, I guess, in that sort of social aspect um, in that front. Um, but really, it was also a bit at the time, I guess, because I'd also had, um, I'd been suffering a lot from various depression through, through puberty and stuff, and didn't really know how to sort of battle these thoughts in my head. It was something I kept very quiet to myself. Um, I didn't really share this with anybody else, but discovering alcohol initially felt like a bit of an escape from these sort of own mental thoughts really I'm sure there's there's people who've been in similar positions before where it felt as if it was something that would, that would just shut my mind off and completely just allow me to to really be be me and be wholesome without those sort of ailments I guess that I was suffering from um so this quickly sort of I guess became quite a key part in my life where I was almost sort of self-medicating to a degree I mean initially I talk about sort of um depression bringing alcohol into my life initially as a medicine falling and becoming another poison um really and and it sort of it really began to escalate uh, when I went to university uh, moved away at 19 uh, again finding myself back in that sort of trade hospitality trade working away sort of part-time work as well again it was a bit kid in a sweet shop at this stage I think the access whilst you were there um and again also something that wasn't really looked upon as unusual I guess in you in that sort of environment I guess there's many people coming in and out who are coming in for a drink and such so if you're there as well having a drink or enjoying it either sort of behind the bar uh, as it did sort of get to that sort of stage or or, or the other side of the bar um then it was quite I guess something that was easy to to um become part of daily life 
Uh, and it just began to really escalate for me hugely. I mean, to the point where um, I was living in with my sort of full-time occupation. I lived in, in the premises. I was then running sort of the, the pub sort of side of things. Um, again, still sort of a very social aspect, um, I suppose, at the time. Um, looking back, I can see that really being my excuse just for getting absolutely levered every day, to be honest. But it was a... Uh, it really began to sort of escalate to the point where um, my, my studies fell by the wayside. Um, it became my sole focus. I'd, I'd be sort of drinking from the minute I got up, sort of at work. I mean, I was always having sort of the coffee cup behind the bar, which was always never filled with coffee. Mm. Um, in that sort of lifestyle, again, as soon as I sort of finished shift, again, it was back out and doing product research, as I dubbed it back then. Uh, it's all the early hours. So, um, and at its height, really, I, I sort of really ballooned in weight too from, from sort of that unhealthy lifestyle and also just picking bits of food as you were going from the pub again not the healthiest of, of bits there a complete life of lethargy again all my mental problems I guess coming straight back because by this point I'm really digging myself deeper into the ground with, with alcohol sort of as a catalyst for that further and um drinking in excess of 20 pints daily by this point so I would lose sort of about 22 stone Wowza. and uh, <laughs> I've taken up smoking full-time to this point and literally yeah just just riddled by 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 debts and the sort of you know lies and um but still keeping this very secretive, I guess I was quite um, a highly functioning sort of, I, I do identify with the term alcoholic. I know a few people don't um, in the sober community, but for myself, I can see it completely as something I was, I was completely powerless to every day of being the, the sole thing I look for um, and would walk over anybody who ever been in my life at any point just to get for that next fix. But that was sort of the, the, the days where I was really deep in it really. But um, as I yeah, said, so kind of, I mean, it's, that it's interesting this kind of the the mental health and alcohol conversation right because you know that figured quite a lot in in my story too of just you know being in burnout and and you know I think I had postnatal depression that was never diagnosed and then it becoming that yeah that that crutch or that as you say at the beginning a a medicine and you know I think we've luckily the conversations around this are changing and there's a lot more understanding and you know certainly when I work with clients it's like look there's no shame it's just you were staying alive you know you were doing the only thing that you 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 thought that was helping until it until it stopped helping um so when do you think there was the kind of the moment when it shifted you said when you were at, at uni um was it just being the availability of it or do you think there was something else going on that kind of pushed it from that heavy I mean, you know, British drinking is heavy drinking, right? But um, into something that that felt more, um, yeah, they had taken hold a bit. I think think over the years, it it was mainly, I mean, I've always been quite an all or nothing character, I think, so I'm never very good with uh, self-discipline and willpower, whether that relates to biscuits, whether that relates to to anything, really. I think I'm always sort of someone who's who's solely focused to get that sort of job done, be what it was. but for me, I think a huge point of that was was probably building tolerance too. I mm. think when I first sort of introduced the sort of alcohol, I mean, I remember, you know, a few pints after work and that would be me stumbling back and, you know, and sort of four or five pints back then. But by the time university, it, it sort of was double that. And then by the time there, we were sort of triple, quadruple sort of numbers. And the point where some days I'd find, you know, it was, it was, there wasn't enough hours in the day to actually reach the equilibrium I wanted to. I wasn't a spirit drinker as such. I quite liked the sort of elongated descent into um, into blackout, to be fair. I didn't mm. like 60 um I like to sort of be out there under that sort of guise of being social to be fair so it was um 
Yeah, I think over time, I think initially you're trying to reach that sort of euphoric period with it, really, sort of hitting that point where the mind does shut off and you actually you become sort of um, free from sort of certain problems. But over time, I guess, tolerance increases. It takes longer and longer to get there. And then, of course, as it becomes in that deeper, deeper, darker circle, that each day you're actually starting at a much lower point than you would have been each day. So you almost never meet reaching those heights anymore. And you're chasing that that high, if you will, I guess, as it is with these sort of these sort of addictions and things you are very much just constantly chasing euphoria um yeah and I think that's what you know because obviously you know we we talk now again it's it, the conversations change that you know addiction is a, a gradient scale right so it's not yeah. something that it's not black and white you're not one or the other you know from one day it, it takes time and part of that thing is that tolerance and that that building of that kind of less and less joy yet repeated behavior and yeah. I think a lot of people can identify with that you know and, and until the point where it's literally you're just stopping you know the you're stopping the cravings rather than actually getting any kind of you know good hit from it you know um, and I think I don't know if you had this but I think part of the problem was for me when I was trying to like cut down or I would or I'd stop for a little bit then my tolerance would drop um but then I couldn't drink as much as I wanted to so it was always this kind of like you know sort of cat and mouse thing of like right okay I'm you know I'm not going to drink so much but then it would be like well I can only have two glasses of wine and I don't just want that so I'd rather just drink more because at least then I can you know drink as much as I want to so I was just like constantly trying to like find this this balance um and that's why in the end for me it was it you know it was just abstinence was the only way it was like I'm never going to get to that sweet spot because right. that you know that sweet spot doesn't exist yeah but I don't feel as if I've, I've ever tried to sort of make that equilibrium it was yeah like- I was never really, I didn't see it as a problem. I didn't see alcohol as something that controlled my life. I saw myself as a heavy drinker, but someone who enjoyed a drink. Mm. That's the extent of where I'd sort of fallen. And never really looked to cut down. Couldn't imagine a life without a drink in my hand. It was my life revolved around. It was the minute that first pint sort of went down my neck, that was the day over, and that was the sole focus. But for me, the initial, the day when I stopped drinking has been the only day I've ever tried to stop. Mm, that's really interesting. And actually, we we find that, you know, because there's a lot of work to be done in with men, you know, in early intervention, because there does seem to be this kind of gray area drinking conversation a lot more with women, you know, we're joining forums, and we're like asking questions earlier, you know, so we, you know, the, the struggle of that should I shouldn't I, you know, back and forth is more prevalent. And whereas men there, there is still that kind of yeah that rock bottom of like right that's I never even knew this was happening and then this is it it's you know kind of game over I mean I know you do a lot of advocacy work for mental health in men and have you seen a shift that men are starting to talk more or you know how what can we do I guess to sort of help change the conversation in, in men's mental health I think it's certainly it's certainly increasing and certainly becoming something more people are more aware of now. I think even I look back to sort of um, myself growing up wondering what I was going through. Again, there wasn't any any stories to relate to, any sort of similar bits in the news. And again, there was still the sort of big masculinity culture of, you know, speaking about feelings was weak. And I guess, you know, you sort of, that's what you sort of, sort of did. It was just, you know, maybe quite quite practical work, head down and sort of drink with the boys sort of thing. I never really conformed to that sort of stuff anyway, I didn't feel. But 
there wasn't really any stories, I guess, of, of, of out there. And anyone who did sort of feel as if they came forward was quite ridiculed for it. So, mm. and again, perhaps back then they were probably some of the bravest characters going to actually break out of that sort of that cycle, as you still see today in other sort of in other sort of areas too, whether it be um, you know some different pockets of society. And but coming forward, I think I think these days again, I've seen a lot more in, in sort of celebrity and sportsman sort of culture where they've come out and expressed sort of issues they've had, perhaps after they've stopped doing their careers, example, or probably things that issues they've had on the side that have been going alongside that. And whether or not this is all to do with the fact that obviously media sort of transformed too. We're all now, we've all now got access to a lot of people's um, front rooms, if you will. So we're all through social media and whatnot. We're, we've got access to people's thoughts and their daily life and bits. And and I guess that's sort of almost sort of um, public figure gossip in a way as well. I mean, there's no, you, you, I mean, I, I do sometimes look back and think, I'm quite glad I just sort of missed the smartphone era. In oh my god! <laughs> because, yeah. uh, it's, it's something now. It's just funny. I remember going through and untagging loads of photos at one point that I did get. I just caught the very end of sort of, I guess, the Facebook style of things. But looking back now, I almost wish I didn't because I'd have a lot more sort of, I guess, um, sort of uh, ammunition <laughs> content. You will exactly. Yeah. There's, only, there's only a few, but but I think back to some of the sort of scenarios you got yourself into. And these days, it would be documented each night. You could you couldn't even have the whole. Oh, I don't remember last night. You know, that sometimes was was the true fact and sometimes was more the excuse I don't want to remember it um but yeah so all that sort of side of things now which has worked I suppose both positively and negatively yeah it's true actually I hadn't conversation yeah I hadn't thought about that but it, it must impact because obviously you know younger people are like questioning their drinking more and they are more yeah. there is a lot more kind of alcohol free people in within millennials and and younger um and that that must be part of it. It's just like you know, my life is documented online, so yeah. you know they're more protective. Thank God. I mean, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I just, <laughs> I exactly. it's, it's a lucky, lucky thing. But I did the same. I mean, I had a, um, you know, I when Instagram first started, I had just you know like my life kind of Instagram, mm. and I had quite a lot of drinking photos on there, and I deleted a lot of them, and I I wish I hadn't in a way. Um, I've got a few, but yeah, it's, I mean, I've got diaries, which I read occasionally. You yeah. Know. I mean, I, I do you ever, do you ever miss it? Do you ever get triggered or are you just, you know, it's, do you have to I work? Think, yeah, I mean, it's been, been for, for myself, I mean, it's been something that, that really, looking back, I can remember sort of moments of attempted intervention over, over the years and sort of, you know, just batting them off. And, and really, I think until that person wants to make that sort of initial change, it's, it's, it's almost, it's very hard to make an intervention that just sort of puts resentment towards those individual characters, I think, mm. that, that bottle feeling. Um, I think sometimes if, if I'm hitting sort of low days on stuff, maybe the sort of mental health side of things, I mean, that's something that, you know, is, is a constant problem for me. Again, it's been something I've suffered with from puberty. And again, that was very much, as, as you mentioned before, um, a bit of a crux, if you were, a bit of a to sort of escape from that. And these days I sort of try and find that sort of escape in terms of fitness or in terms of um, sort of hiking and getting outdoors. But sometimes I think when you've really got to battle those days and go out, get myself out, get myself out on sort of a run, get myself to the gym, it can sometimes be an easier fall to go, you know, I kind of miss that sensation where I could just get, Mm. which now you're always present in daily life now. You're almost fighting your sort of issues front on. You know, and, and and in life there are moments of sadness that I think you have to just deal with. And that's part that's part of the roller coaster of life. And I think running away and almost escaping from those sometimes um, can be the easier thing in the short term, but long term you're still going to have to face that um, in some point. So I think I do miss that sensation at times. 
Mm. Um, but as you mentioned as well, I mean, we've seen, for myself, I think I've stopped to drinking sort of the time where there's never been more options available. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm someone that I do, I do keep a little bit careful in some of the alcohol free drinks. I do find a bit of a placebo sensation from the spirits and from, from wine. So I don't touch those for example, but the alcohol free beers and things I find absolutely fine for me. I'm, I'm quite happy in that social situation too. I never shied away from that side of things. I always said I was giving up drink, not my life. Yeah. I love the pub trade in terms of the social bit and the people I met. And one of the first sort of events I had was only a couple of months after after getting sober, which was a friend stag do. And, and it was his wedding pretty much coming up and everyone was going, you can't go to this, you know, because I was completely open with the issues I was having mm. at the time. I came out very publicly to friends, family, with all the sort of depression and the suicidal thoughts element, the drinking, how far it had gone, my debt issues, why I'd left the city I lived in. And... um and they were all saying, you can't go, trying to sort of especially protect me from it. And I said, no, this is it. I, I want to be in these situations. Although, as hard as it may be, I don't want to remove myself from and not be invited to these things anymore because I'm stopping drinking. Yeah. But there is a quote that always resonates with me, I think, that I do stick in my head sometimes of saying the whole, the more times you sit in the barber's chair, the more likely you are to get a haircut. And it's sometimes, I think, going to the pub all the time, I did keep myself in those scenarios. And going to the pub by myself a lot as well. I went to just drink a Coke in the corner and I'd sit and I'd write a bit of a journal and a drinking diary at the time, how I was feeling. And I suppose to some people, it would be completely alien. It would be, well, why, why are you even putting yourself in that situation? But I never wanted it to become a stigma. Mm. It be, oh, I'm worried to go into those places. Or I've got to cross the street when I'm walking past, you know, the off-license. I mean, it was, it was something that I just faced head on. Um, Really? Yeah, I think that, I mean, that, that's a brilliant kind of lesson for people because I think people get really scared of that. And and it's kind of like, you know, why put alcohol on a pedestal? You know, why make it, keep it so important, right? It's like, it, there's a lot, I mean, it takes a lot yeah. of guts and a lot of strength and, you know, inner resilience. And some people just aren't capable of that. And, you know, of course, of course. 100% respect that. But yeah. I think the more that you can, yeah, live your life as an alcohol-free person regardless of you know alcohol being around you know is is a power play it's just like you don't you don't impact me you know I'm not going to change for you you have no power over me now you know so I I love that it's very bold you know I mean I did I kind of did the same at the beginning and then I was like I'm just way too tired (laughs) I can't be bothered anymore I'm just yeah I'm gonna grow up gracefully you know it's like yeah I mean I I I do struggle being around people that are drunk unless they're really, really good mates. And otherwise, it's a sensation of time for me, I think. Yeah. The, 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 the sort of the, the, the drinking person's half an hour, first yeah. half an hour, sort of so elongated in comparison. Yeah. Five yeah. more minutes, I'm going, I'm going to give you five minutes, then I'm going. Like, I'm not <laughs> waiting now. This is, I know this game. I know this. I you know I was the pusher at one point. I was the drinker. Yeah. Stay there, stick, get one more, and sneak another one in. And, I even have some friends who are still sliding the rounds and they slide over another Coke towards me or another Pepsi. And I'm, you know, I'm, this, I don't play this game anymore. This is what's this doing for me? This is, yeah, yeah, there is that sort of, no, I'm not splitting the bill. <laughs> like, no, 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 exactly. <laughs> so, um, so you mentioned that, yeah, you were very open. Um, so tell me a little bit about, you know, the decision to stop. What was the kind of moment and how did you get help and, and how did you approach that in the early yes. days? So, the, so the, the day I stopped, I mean, I'm sure we, we all have sort of these days sort of quite imprinted on our minds, don't we, for those of us who, 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 who almost escaped those sort of, those, um, those worlds. I mean, the 6th of June for me, 2016, was, was the day I, I sort of stopped drinking and, and complete overnight sort of decision, really. Um, 
again, I mentioned at the point I was, I was you know, a daily drinker. Um, I have been for the last maybe sort of seven years in that sort of environment, um, all, all hours of the day, sort of every waking hour. And there'd been moments at the point where, again, I was battling this sort of element of, of not wanting to be here, not wanting to exist, um, you know, sort of using it, as you mentioned before, as a survival tool. It was something that people often ask if you regret, and I don't regret because I don't think I'd be here sort of speaking about this if I didn't have that sort of as, as a survival sort of vice. Um, there was nearly a big moment of change when I was on my 21st birthday where after a big sort of particularly big, big piss, so we sort of first sort of five-day bender with some mates and whatnot, they all came to visit. Um, they all went back and I decided that I was I was completely alone in this city and that the fact that I didn't feel as if I had any route out anymore. Even the, the escape methods I was using weren't weren't silencing sort of the thought. So I actually rang my mum in the end to say, say goodbye and I was ready to finish it all there and then. Um, and that sort of opened up some, I guess, insight into my world to some people. Um, I did sort of seek help with the sort of the doctor at the time, various bits, but it was more about the depression side rather than the alcohol side. And I wasn't willing to change. So I ran back to the city I lived in at the time. I was living in York, although originally from Cumbria. And I just took myself back up a week later, went back in and did exactly the same thing for another four years. Mm. I just wasn't willing to make that change. But during this time, I, I met a partner um you know something I always sort of did long for in life was sort of that sort of um a sort of loving relationship I guess and and being present for that person but unfortunately at this point I, I was in two relationships by this point I was already in with, with alcohol and I was with her we lived very different sort of lives whether I, I ran sort of the pub the pub trade quite unsociable hours weekend work evenings where she was more nine to five in the week so there was a lot of time for me to live these two lives um sort of as parallel if you will and they didn't really cross over too much um <clears throat> they'd leach into each other slightly but I guess I was very much someone that I looked exactly the same after four pints as I did after 16 pints after 20 pints you know people couldn't generally tell I was just glazed constantly um and just became more sedate and so that was something that I guess started to eat away those sort of two relationships into a play uh there was a few moments I guess of, of, of arguing and whatnot that would cross over particular sort of drunken moments or bringing bits home and even points where I guess I'd if I'd come around to her, absolutely off my face and whatnot, and how I was, you know, sort of, um, well, even massive, inconstant in her bed sort of thing. I'd, I'd wet the mattress and stuff in there, and sort of that would obviously cause big issue and big arguments, which would generally I'd still be drunk waking up, and I'd just sort of fight it, argue back, and then go straight back on the drink again. Um, but in the end, I went out, and I was I was actually unfaithful out on a night out. So I'd, I'd kiss somebody else under the influence, carry bits on there, and that was discovered which um, which brought sort of big discussions of the relationship and really also brought big discussions of myself and how far I'd fallen by this point. And, and was really the term, the time rather, that um, I came to terms with the fact that I had, I had become an alcoholic at this point. I, I, was, I was completely powerless. I mean, it, it, it'd taken all control over me. I was, I was compromised as a person. The values I held so tightly to myself was something that was now by the wayside. And, and it was that sort of moment of really becoming that person and really doing an action like that to someone that I deeply loved that vowed me to the next day to really go, I'm removing alcohol from my life. And it was a complete overnight life switch moment. I remember going back to work at the pub that next day. Um, I got through the sort of the breakfast. I was actually cooking in the kitchen that day because we didn't have a chef at the time. And the boss came over and sort of saw me and said, something's not right with you. And I just broke down in front of him completely, said what had happened. And he said, said go sit outside for a bit with, with a glass of water, a coffee. I didn't come back in for eight hours. I just sat outside, and by which point my colleague had come to take his managerial shift in the evening shift over, and he came straight out with a pint and said, yeah, I get this down, you feel better. Mm. I said, I don't drink anymore, John. 
And he just looked at me just as if I was you know, completely crazy. This was a man that had seen me pretty much every day for the last five years at the end of the bar, sweeping up any drink known to man, drip tray specials, a lot, you know, things that people had left. And that was it, just completely overnight. I don't drink anymore, John. And this was this was really it, the start. I mean, initially, I'd be lying if it wasn't to try and win her back at first. I really did try and quit alcohol to become, to try and do that show of faith that, no, what I'm saying to you is true. It isn't just this. It's not an excuse. Um, I, I still can't really explain why why I did those sort of things, but um, I can't explain a lot of the things I did when I was drinking, I guess. It's just you're almost under yeah. that cloud, that sort of possessive nature of it. And, um, but that was it from that point. So, again, I threw my cigarettes in the bin. Uh, I vowed to quit drinking. I, I left this city. I lived there. I've been there seven years now. I quit my job. Um, didn't say goodbye to anyone in the, in the city. Just went overnight. Came back to Cumbria. And completely opened up on my personal Facebook to all friends and family and said, this is what I've done. This is who I am. Um, you know, I've been suffering with these things since I've been 13, sort of depression. I don't want to exist. I've been using alcohol as this crux. I can't live in that environment anymore. There's too much, there's too much access and too much memories for that sort of thing. And the 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 support I received after that was, was immense, absolutely immense. And I feel so lucky to have had that at the time. Those moments where a lot of these people I was lucky to still have them in my life. At this yeah. yeah. There was friends and family that, that, that had given me ultimatums at times that had stuck around. And I feel very thankful I didn't get to the stage where those people left my life because I know a lot of people do and they haven't got that support network again. And that, that sort of... The people that came around to sort of support and push that fit or fit or thing was, was, was huge. And really, and again, there was people coming on my doorstep going, right, let's go for a walk. Let's do this. Let's go for a bike ride. Let's head out this. And all non-alcohol related activities. And whilst I still mentioned I was forcing myself into the pub in my own time, yeah. <laughs> doing this, then they weren't going, let's go for a drink and talk about this, for example. You know, they were very um, understanding and sometimes too much so of that side, which I find is often the funny thing these days where you'll get people going, do you mind if I have a drink? I said, well, do you mind if I have a chocolate bar? Yeah. You, it's your life, not my life. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, that was that initial sort of come where alcohol left that huge, huge hole in my life of removing it that it had to be filled with something. And the thing I chose to fill it with was fitness. Mm. So just before we get on to Fell Foodie and, and, yeah. and that journey, I'm interested, you said that your, you know, your, your kind of core values had been completely lost. And I was interested, what are your core values? What are the things that are most important to you? Yeah, well, look, well, I suppose initially that side, it was it was not, I, I consider myself quite a selfless person really at times. I think I couldn't see myself sort of putting others first. That's mm. all the fact that I'd really done completely the opposite and, and putting really alcohol first at all times um, to the point where someone that sort of loved me dearly and, and, and in return that I, I was unfaithful to and completely dismissed all rules of, of loyalty and faithfulness. Yeah, okay. So, for me, that was just something that I always saw myself as a, as a very, I put others first, I, you know, I'd be loyal to the core, various bits, and, and and I wasn't. And I couldn't explain why I'd been like this. I couldn't explain why why, why I'd done this to someone that really just, it just didn't make any sense to me at all. And I, I couldn't, I guess, trying to fight all moments of, of, of defense to that thing, but I was defenseless. Yeah. I, had, I had no case at all. And, that was something that just sort of completely struck struck me, and the fact that I, I, I knew I'd been, I knew I was wrong, and I, I just had to redeem myself and go through this period of redemption. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I just asked that because I think, you know, for people listening that are struggling, 
um you know and obviously when we coach we do a lot of work around values but I think it was just that fundamental thing for me it was just like when I understood you know that my core value was integrity you know and that I wasn't being fully myself I wasn't being fully honest you know I'd lost that you know when you can tap into that and just be like I can't do I can't drink because I lose that you know it's it's incredibly powerful you know and for you that 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 thing of loyalty of just like that's your kind of that's the rock bottom of your personal experience it's like I cannot do that because it it's so important to me you know it is something more fundamental than alcohol in that moment just like there is that thing of like when I cross that barrier of that value with myself you know that's a power tool to be like no more like you know and you hold that close to you you know and I check in with that all the time like because it's obviously a recovery is a journey in many areas of of life you know and you know I was very much a people pleaser and a shapeshifter and tried to fit myself in places and and so when I I check in with that you know in friendship groups or work situations it's like um is this integral to me like do I feel integrity here and it's like no okay right you know that's a a sort of to navigate those toxic relationships and all those sort of things and you know for you it's that that loyalty thing so yeah well no I think I think well as I say I think integrity is a great word for it I think that sort of encompasses all to be fair I think Mm. they the lies the bits you know even the moments of stealing and and whether it's you know it's poor excuses or, or yeah just that's it loyalties and all sorts of integrity is a great way to put it I think exactly it's um yeah, a big, big, big sort of awakening moment. Hmm. So yeah, so you found your your way, your direction, and your savior, I guess, in in sort of fitness and and the outside nature. So tell us a little bit about yeah, how did that become your thing? And and <laughs> yeah, and tell us what is fell foodie and a little bit about it. Yeah, so it was. Again, as I mentioned, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't an active person at all. Again, I wasn't, I wasn't doing any exercise at this point. You know, I was very overweight. Um, I suppose I was quite, I was, I was active as a child. I suppose I was quite big. I wasn't too bad. I, sort of, I grew up in Cumbria, so quite a rural area, um, and very close to the Lake District. But I, I really neglected sort of these fells and mountains that were close by to me. I just saw them as just hills, really. I think the closest I came to sort of walking of them was probably, you know, coffee and cake in, in Keswick, sort of really. And, um, Upon coming back to Cumbria, as I say, in that first sort of first two weeks of coming back from York, again getting sober, going through the sort of throes of withdrawal and all sorts, head all over the place, pining for my ex. Um, a very close mate came to my doorstep and said, We're going to go for a hike. And I had no real idea what to expect at this point, really. I didn't really know it was going to be you know, a walk through the woods or a walk around the local town. And I just sort of put on what I had to hand. Again, I was completely penniless by this point. I'd spent all my last bits on paying off what debts I had or rental bills. and Again, try to sort out the again the credit card debts we've fallen into, as I'm sure many many have been on a similar path, and and so I just put on what I had to hand, which was an old scatty pair of swim shorts, a pair of uh, probably twenty pound trainers, and um, yeah, just a jumper I'd probably wear on a wearing a night out, thinking I was looking smart, but it was just probably all, all I had to hand. And he, um, my friend took one look at me and said, "You can't go hiking like that." And on the way, sort of from from just outside Carlisle, where I'm from, on the way to the lakes, about an hour's drive, um, he pulled over at an outdoor shop and he he took me in there, 
let me try on a pair of boots and took these boots to the counter and he bought me these boots for me. Again, I, I didn't have the money to, to Manhaven at the time and it was a, a huge show of support really and something that I'll never forget in terms of that sort of kindness and that was provided. And um, we took these boots, drove on further and parked at the, the base of a mountain in the Lake Street called Blencafra, which for those that, that don't know the lakes too well, is one of the higher mountains in the, in the, in the lake, sort of over 800, I think about 890 metres up the sort of way. And again, at this point, you know, Sam, I've just come for up from drinking, I said, you know, 20 pints daily to nothing to sort of go off this way, which again, is probably not an advisable thing to do either, really. It's, it's quite something that was, um, cold turkey, maybe not the way to go from that sort of, those levels. But, um, and again, completely overweight, not sort of something I'd do at all to be marched up this mountain all of a sudden. And um, I don't remember too much of the actual journey up the fell side, but it was just staying at my feet a lot. I think just sort of popping and panting, many stops up. Um, and again, probably something I'd have probably stopped for a fag break about sort of eight times on the way up in, in my previous life. But obviously I, I'd given those up at the time too, but marching up to the top slowly but surely and reaching this summit point on, a, on quite a cloudy day and not really even being sort of chance to take a breath before my mate looked at me and said, right, we're doing Helvellyn next week. Yeah, again, <laughs> oh, no, that's the third highest in the lakes and even more of a staircase straight to the summit 950 meters a week later same again at the base of this hill but this time it was a glorious sunny blue sky day and that same story marching up to staring at the feet just again all sorts going from my mind trying to get on this path to redemption and really it kind of felt a bit quite like a physical manifestation of what I was going through this sort of real struggle this sort of pushing on not really knowing what the the end end goal was but Again, fighting against my mind, fighting against the mental sides of going, your legs are tired, give up, go down, do this. You can just go down for a drink again, all this. But trying to just push on and get to that top bit and keep pushing against what was the harder way to go, which was up. Um, and on reaching that summit again, I remember looking down on the, on the tarn below, one of the big sort of rocky um, striding edge, ridge route coming up from the other side in Glenridding, and just really sparking something in me. And it was just really like sort of a new addiction had been ignited really on the top of this mountainside. And, and the sort of feeling of endorphin and dopamine hit I got from that was not too dissimilar to what, what mm. I gave alcohol. But of course, there wasn't, that, there wasn't that negative come down at all. There wasn't that sort of, you know, that craving for the next day. The craving now was to, was to go and do the same thing again and get that sensation of, of achievement and elation, I guess. And this really just began to snowball. So a week later, again, we went and climbed England's high and highest mountain, Scarfell Pike. So this is sort of, again, four weeks into sort of this recovery. Um, and by the end of that year, um, I, I'd, I'd gone up sort of Snowdon, in sort of in Snowdonia, a few of the fells, the Lake Districts, and Ben Nevis by the start of the new year. And um, this sort of then became sort of a different, I, I was a lot fitter by this point, I guess. I was enjoying this. I'd relocated to the lakes permanently and the centre of the lakes, and I started switching out these boots for trainers. I'd started running a lot at this point as well, which you know, I couldn't even run a bath beforehand. It was just, <laughs> just an alien world. And um, friends took me out, and sort of 1K became 3K, became 5K, 10, 20, and I was convinced to sign up for a marathon. And 11 months on from that moment of going, I don't drink anymore, John, I'm stood at the start of a marathon line, you know, and I've lost all that weight. I've, I've, I've lost seven stone by this point from what I was. I was near coming up a year sober. I hadn't touched a cigarette again. And, and, I, and I ran this marathon. And it was just like crossing that finish line was just what really, what sense of, of, of redemption I felt going through that. The fact that I had now really, I was, I was going through this complete life turnaround where I was an alien, really looking, looking a complete stranger looking back. And for friends and family looking on as well, at the sort of person I must have been in between that point, it must must have been such a bizarre sort of turn as well, because I've really have just gone through this sort of chameleon-like change. Mm. Um, 
and all that was holding me back was the was these sort of these these vices, I guess, and, and sort of not not battling sort of my mental problems with a positive outlet, I guess, and sort of tr- just just putting further and further cement on top of my head by by by, by drinking myself away every day. And it was yeah, massive, massive. And this sort of just then became this sort of change into into fitness and nature and 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 loving the mountains, which um which then started off by becoming this this fell through the alter ego, I guess, that I sort of myself. It was um. I'd always loved food. I'd loved cooking. I was a self-taught cook from, from a young age, cooking a lot with my grandmother. And, um, you know, I loved sort of how the way food brought people together and how it brought people around the table. And again, a bit like alcohol did in a way, it brought people sort of on social occasions and things. But obviously without that sort of um, hidden world that I'd go into when everyone went home. And I love the way it sort of it brought people around the table, the different cultures you experience, the ingredients from around the world and what you'd experience going abroad and just working out where where people's sort of again integrity I guess and where their where their morals came from um and I started cooking again a lot from scratch when I went through this sort of change again I had so much more time on my hand now hands because I wasn't in the pub and obviously I was much more able much more hours of the day that I had more time again to to start preparing things again and, and sort of going through these different stages I find quite a mindful experience too in itself cooking just sort of taking yourself out and focusing on that that task at hand um and again, the fuel you're putting in yourself, I think for me, again, you wouldn't put bad fuel in a car and expect it to go a long way. So again, what you're eating, I think it's quite important in terms of how you're feeling. I think even removing alcohol is one thing, but if you're still eating shit food all the time, that's not going to help you out either. It's a case of, you know, there's, there's a fine balance to these things. Again, when people mention moderation, I guess, which I know a lot of us don't understand that word. No. <laughs> <laughs> to those who can exist in that world of moderation, again, it's, it's choosing those fine, those fine points of food, of drink and of various other... Um, other elements um and this really began by me initially creating sort of quite i guess extravagant packed lunches to take out walking i'd always get quite comments on and i'd be preparing things from scratch they'd have their the soggy cling film sandwich to take up and i'd be taking up something you know um as risottos i made the night before a little sort of bits there and i stews and things taking up and, and someone once suggested to me why don't i get a stove and actually start cooking it on the fell side from scratch as a bit of a joke and i already call myself fell food by this point I didn't share anything about myself. It was very much an alter ego. Again, another mask I was wearing, if you will. It was just the views I was experiencing and the food I was taking up the fells. And um, from this point, yeah, I started cooking the meals from scratch on top of the fell top. So I take it all up from there, prepare it all from scratch. And again, it was another way of me to spending more time in the outdoors. And rather than living that very busy life we do quite often of just rushing around, getting to the point, getting that selfie at the summit, if you will, or or getting straight to. You know, that sensation of um, inebriation or whatever it, it was for me just spending a bit of time in there and being present in that moment preparing this dish on the fell side um, and it gained more sort of traction I guess gained more interest obviously the sort of nice restaurant style dishes cooked in minimal on minimal equipment in remote locations and um, that following grew a bit a bit a bit, bit, bit more um, to the point where I actually felt like I had to share my backstory on there as well and I became sort of clean with now this new audience I shared quite publicly to friends and family, as I mentioned, but at this point now I shared completely really to what were strangers on the internet and just completely revealed everything I'd gone through from, from, from the suicide attempts to sort of depression through, through, through early life to the initial days of drinking to the weight, weight gain um, and to the sort of moments, you know, where I was unfaithful and, and what, what caused this change. And once again, that outpouring of support that I received again and the similar stories I got from people as well was just completely knocked me back. Um, and the amount of people who discovered as well things like hiking and exercise and nature as as an escape from that too was 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 really powerful and huge and 
and led to sort of further opportunities, I guess, more more sort of coverage that way and more chance to sort of tell this story. And something now that for me feels like quite a quite a purpose these days, if I'm honest. It feels very much as something that and if I can share these struggles I've been through and it helps one other person, then it makes it all more worthwhile what I've gone through. Um yeah, and these days just still still enjoying that sort of cooking side of the mountain, still doing my hiking, still this fell foody character, if you will, but now completely present, completely um open and and out there to the world and also sharing what's and all this story of who I am really and how I've got to this point which is which is a key part to where I am now it's not it's not a forgotten year or lost years it's very much the reason I am who I am now oh I love that oh I feel quite emotional yeah super super inspirational um and I love what you said about actually when you cook you know on the fells that that makes you slow down and that kind of mindfulness element of it you know that intentional living element which is definitely you know still a work in progress because I think for a lot of people for whatever reason whether it was trauma or you know stress or um, you know not feeling confident in themselves or mental health you know whatever the kind of the reasons you know why people drink and obviously alcohol is addictive you don't need a reason but you know for for a lot of people um there is something that they they feel uncomfortable in their own skin or their own environment you know and and it's hard to then allow yourself to sit in yourself you know and be um and I I I certainly that's a journey for me just to be like okay to be mindful and be present um but that's living you know that's that's what it's all about you know and so I find it really inspirational um that idea of just taking time you know slowing it down and you know on a nervous system level if you have had stress or any of those things that's helping you right it's helping your yourself balance it's helping you to not feel stressed it's helping your brain as you said to feel you know balanced and so when if you've got mental health issues anxiety things like that all of that is is actually doing you a lot of good but it feels good you know you're like because as we said at the beginning the the difficulty is being sober is you have to feel the stuff you know but that works both ways. You have to feel the stuff that hurts, but you, you feel the stuff that feels good, you know, and you have those moments of awe or wonder where you're like, Jesus fucking Christ, look at the sky. Like, oh my God, you know, that, that blue is insane or that, you know, that the, the ripples on the water, you get those moments of, of bliss, which oh, are just, yeah. Well, I remember a huge moment for me at that point where I never really understood a lot of things growing up and stuff and always questioned a lot of, of elements to life and even sort of you know relationships with family friends and how people sort of connected and and going through I remember about three months into sort of my journey into sort of sobriety I remember sort of this this huge sort of lead weight I used to feel on my head as if I was just carrying this round and sort of just dragging this this issue mm-hmm. all the time one day I just felt like this balloon was popped in my head and I just had this sensation of weightlessness in a way and just everything sort of flooded in and I just I almost it was very emotional sort of time it felt very much like a bit of a or maybe not to go too far, but even sort of like that sort of people talk about spiritual awakening sort of thing. All of a sudden, I just felt as if a lot of things made sense. And again, the world just looked very different. It looks a lot clearer and I was more present to things. And, and it, it was, again, like I'd just been restricting these these sort of emotional outlets for, for well, a decade, you know, and just 
finding out what they are again and what things actually mean and what what feelings are <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah them to the core and it is incredible I mean the kind of the catalyst you know sobriety can be for people it is it's just like how did I get from you know I wrote a book I published a book I did a podcast you know we created a course we're writing another book like how did all that happen to me you know I've got a puppy what's all that um so yeah, in terms of your kind of daily practices to keep your, you know, yourself well, your self-care, um, you know, what what does your daily routine look like? Yeah, so I think I've touched upon um, obviously elements of. I mean, I mean, fitness plays, plays a huge part in my life now, um, and it's something that I think recently going through as we all have the the lockdown periods we've had sort of in in, in the UK and I'm sure in various other parts too in similar ways is was a very difficult phase. I think it was quite something that all of a sudden the the gyms that I use a lot were all closed. Even the outdoor side of things, even here, I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky to live in an area that's a lot of green space. And I'm in no way make any sort of comparisons of people that are maybe, you know, cooped up in high rise buildings in the cities. I mean, I, I can't even compare sort of the lifestyle difference. But here, you're almost being told at all times that, yes, you get outside, but only for a certain amount of time. And if you were seen outside, people were looking at you strange. And it was like, are you locally from around here? Almost got quite mm. phobic in a way as well, to the point where, you felt guilty to go outdoors. So I'd lost the gym and I'd lost sort of the outdoor escapisms that I had. And all of a sudden I'm back again in my own four walls of the house, which is exactly the reason why I drank in the first place. You know, I wasn't a home drinker either. I wasn't someone that would stay at home and drink. I was always out, out and about every day, either in my work environment or out in the pubs, the clubs. I didn't like to be stuck by myself and just sat with my thoughts. And I didn't trust myself in what, what I'd do. So I was forced back into this situation for the first time in sobriety where my positive outlets were almost taken away. And, I, and it was fantastic seeing people that embraced these sort of home workouts and home living in various bits and changing their routines and adapting them for this new world. But I very, very struggled with, with changing, changing the habits to that sort of um, that style. Again, I don't like to be someone that's cooped up indoors. As I mentioned, I'm, I'm, I like to be out there all the time, hiking, sort of out there, cooking outdoors. I, I like to go camping in the outdoors all the time. I just completely sort of add back out into that back to basics living um and I'd be lying if this wasn't a very testing point really I think for the first time in a long while I found myself very much you know thinking well maybe I should just drink all this away and drink through this phase and just to sort of speed it up because again it was always a time thing it was just getting through another day yeah speeding that along and existing so that's all it was really I was just existing just just staying present really again that that maybe selfless action where I didn't want to be here at all personally I didn't want to be I've been quite happy to have turned the light off mm. again it was the sensation of others and how that would leave other people so again I kept myself present in the way I knew as if how I could do was not to feel at all so so that was a big change in lifestyle but obviously coming out of that again again I found myself I did fall back onto food quite a bit as I'm sure a lot of people did too um again that was more of the crooks again probably eating a bit too much as what I was I wasn't being as active as I was then either so Maybe put a bit of weight back on again, but I think if that was the sacrifice to make to maintain my sort of privacy and headspace, then it's a willing sacrifice. So we're back out into it now again. We're now back into that sort of routine. We're back into the fells again. Felt like a few steps back from where I was, but certainly not square one. I kept reminding myself that you know you're a million miles away from where you were, even if it feels as if it's more difficult again. But a mental challenge in itself, um, sort of going back a few steps. Yeah. 
back out into there, into the outdoors, back out the sort of way. Um, still not done my running trains as much as I'd like, um, but we'll get back to that, I'm sure, as well. That'll find its way back into the routine. But for me, that sort of healthy body, healthy mind is, is a huge thing for me. I think that's that's the way I deal with, um, you know, this battle daily with depression sort of thing is just trying to um, keep a sort of fit and active, active lifestyle. And again, back to sort of a lot of, Fresh cooking again, still being out there, being sort of not feeling if you've got to rush around. I'm someone who quite likes a food shop, so I don't like to be rushed around the supermarket. I like to sort of spend the time getting my mind sort of rolling, what I want to cook again, taking inspiration from different ingredients. So again, lockdown sort of shopping was quite, you know, it felt like you were on a timer, it was supermarket sweep, you know, trying to just rush around and get get it in and get out. It was <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's, you know, I mean, obviously the statistics show, right? It's it was you know drinking went up it was incredibly yeah, impactful and you know I think it, it it it's it needs talking about and it needs you know just underlying that for, for many people you know no matter how sort of stable you were if you're you know for example Kate who I do the podcast with you know one of her stable sobriety tools is yoga you know and her yoga practice and when you can't do that on a regular basis then that is going to impact you you know and it is it's kind of going back to basics of the tools that were right at the beginning and just you know hunkering down and, and then that kind of mantra of this too shall pass it you know there were moments it's just like we've just got to get through like you know because you've got well you know for us we've got kids homeschooling and you know and trying to run a business and just all, all the things it was you know incredibly intense and I know a lot of the women that we we work with you know really suffered and struggled you know through that sort of one day like one day at a time mentality as yeah. well i think of just sort of you know if you can get to sort of midnight again sober another day then you'll, you'll maintain sober for that day sort of thing it was just yeah. it was just making the sort of parameters much smaller through things again but existence felt very strange and again mm. i'm i'm a big one for sort of natural sort of almost primal sort of living these days i think i don't think we're made to be sort of confined indoors and sort of in these sort of environments so to be suddenly put in that situation well, I can completely understand the reasons sort of for all these bits on the other side. And I think there was people going through much harder times than I am, which is something I always battle with. Why am I feeling this way when really I'm not, not in the worst scenario? But it's that's that's your own mind for you, isn't it? But um, yeah, that's your reality, right? And you know, and and yeah. also your your need for nature and your need for outside is is not at the same parameter as mine, right? So it's going to impact yeah. you in a way that it won't impact me. So you know it's I think it's incredibly valid that for you and and the the tools that you had it was massively impactful you know so yeah well done you thank you and as I touched upon I think for a lot of people it was probably again became more of a crook so it's probably people drinking levels that they hadn't done beforehand in that sort of time there's probably people that you know are opening bottles a lot earlier because they're working from home when they haven't got that sort of restriction in terms of you can't open it up in the office yeah also one I always considered as well was that was was the functioning alcoholics to a degree of all of a sudden they were they were cut off from supply in a way it was almost like they were forced into sort of um you know mandatory sort of um sort of sobriety in a way at times i mean the, the other side is of course everyone was stockpiling as well so you had those who were drinking in the house who were buying up all the crates buying up all the booze in the mm. supermarket and even though i was walking around i wasn't going down the aisle as such but you could still see the shelves were very bare mm. yeah they all of a sudden lost their supply in a way of, of the pubs where it was they yeah, could, but it was had to go a lot cleaner. Was, yeah, I mean, it was the only it was the only time in I think in medical history that the uh, the NHS have published publicly how to detox, um, you know, yeah. at home. 
with with you know from withdrawal because obviously withdrawal from alcohol can be deadly and and it's the only time that they had you know tell people how to do it themselves because you know it's just unbelievable and yeah I think we'll we'll feel the effects for a a long time really you know on on people but luckily it is you know that there are little pockets of pockets of real life and normality now so um, so we're coming towards the end um what plans and projects do you have coming up for fell foodie you know what are you, what's the i mean i love the fact that it's become a purpose for you so how would you like it to progress in the future it's um it's a difficult one on that front i guess I mean, i've never had any huge aims for it it was just very much me being me me sharing my adventures me sharing my personal experiences and it's sort of developed into something more where where I get the opportunity to speak further. I do a lot of public speaking now, a lot of sort of um, corporate well-being talks, sort of for the mental health side, which is which is which is brilliant. I mean, even talk to things like schools, which I find a hugely powerful experience to do. Just knowing that I was maybe in that room once, not knowing what the hell I was going through, and just although you don't get all the rumours, you don't usually in school classes, but even when it's like sixty percent eyes on you sort of thing, I think that is a very emotionally draining period for me just put it out there because I'm quite a rural speaker but I think the the power in what it can do as well I think is is hugely empowering mm. me um so that's something I'd love to do more of from that side of things um I think there's again the big purpose in that um in sharing the tales and being almost a voice for the voiceless in a way I think for that sort of stuff as well I think is is an important bit to me the fact I can I can talk about that now which I never would have been able to a few years back I, wouldn't, I couldn't have imagined talking about it um, the food side of things, again, I do a lot of food demonstrations, festival appearances, working a lot with a lot of brands, various bits, potentially some exciting bits coming on that sort of side of things as well, myself as a person. But again, just I see it all very much as a bonus where I am. Any little steps are just kind of, you know, I wouldn't have been here. This this was worlds apart from where I was. So I don't put too much stress on it or too much sort of elevation. I've got to be at this stage. I've got to get to that. I've got to be this next year. I just, again, as I do with my sobriety and as I do with everything else, I take one day at a time and just see how it's coming. And just, I don't really look too far ahead, um, just live in the moment. So we'll see. I'm very open to new opportunities. Uh, I'm, I'm very lucky to what I've had come my way so far. It's been hugely organic. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'd, um, I'm just excited to see what comes next. You know, for once, I'm looking forward to the future where so much shall be four hours. Didn't want to see another day. So yeah, each day is a blessing oh well done yeah I just well I wish you all the best and I find it super inspiring and well I'll just throw this out there that I think our love sober community we need to do some sort of hike if you can guide (laughs) guide us at some point like baby baby steps you know small small like little well little mountain I I must say that I did trek the um, foothills of the Himalayas in Nepal when I was like 19. Amazing so I went up to Poon, is it Poon Hill? I don't know. It's like twice, it's twice the height of Ben Nevis. But um, I basically moaned the whole time. I was like, it's a great thing. I mean, there, there, was a, there was a small small group of us actually that from, from the sober community. I mean, I know, I think, I think you know a few of them from the London side of things. Um, Megan and Emily. Yeah. But two, two of the individuals I think who've been on here before as well. And we all met up in Snowdonia. And again, I only knew... Um, Megan sort of delights of delights of her life on um, on social and stuff. We, we arranged this sort of trip out to Snowdonia, and again we all went out hiking. Again, it's something they perhaps didn't do too much of. 
yeah. And again, it was brilliant. And again, just just being in sort of like-minded company as well of similar yeah. and It was fantastic, really. So yeah, I'd be, be more than willing for something like that in the future. And um, yeah, anyone who wants any tips and advice on that, please do reach out. I'm always happy to. So we always finish with a tip of the day and your reason to love being sober. So what would be your tip? Um, my tip in sort of sobriety, I guess, um, uh, would be uh, again. I think just 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 breaking it down to sort of much smaller, small increments. I think you you know, at the very start of these things. I mean, I remember you know one day seemed impossible, one week seemed impossible, one month seemed miles away. Mm. You know, where these days we sit on you know coming up when it's nearly five and a half years now. It's just it's bananas. It's just really. It's breaking it down to that one day at a time thing and just trying to stretch to that point each day and just, just focus on bits. And and again, I think as well, and not and not really knocking yourself too bad too much if you have those sort of little struggles and little slips as well. I think they are quite they're quite natural to it. Mm. Um, just you being aware of that sort of side of things, what I'm willing to make that change is a huge step in itself. But coming out initially to say, look, I've got a I've got a problem here with this, with this with alcohol or with something else is is massive. That that, that in itself is a huge, huge step. Um, so breaking it down into little increments, I think, would be improving my tip and just um, just focus on the, the smaller smaller steps first. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you let people know, you know, and you were open. I mean, it's really fucking brave. But, you know, we need support. Like, we need people to have our back. And whether that's, um, you know, we kind of talk about it, you know, the sort of the red, am, amber, green list of like, you know, red people where it's just like, no, just leave it. Don't talk to them, you know, or amber people where it's like, you're not quite sure of their reaction. So just. I thought you were going to start talking about travel again. Yeah. <laughs> and then the green people are like the people that, you know, have your back, you know, and that, you know, that are going to sort of yeah. support you. And and sometimes it could be just, a you know, a sober community if you don't have that support around you. Exactly. Um you know, and I certainly suffering silence mantra. I think always, yeah, there's yeah. one there where it's medical professional, friend, family, or even these helplines that are fantastic. That there's somebody there you can speak to. Yeah, you know, my, I mean, my husband's French and has a wine cellar, so he was on the amber list. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, but you know, definitely sober communities for me at the start was just that lifeline of being able to just be honest and open and just have people that feedback coming back and being like we got you it's all right you know we've been there and it's good to remember you know it's good to remember that one day at a time because as you get further down the line you forget just getting that one day you know it's so hard that one week you know and people sort of say like in the community they'll be like I've only you know I'm back to day seven and it's like fucking yes you know because that first period is is the hardest yeah. yeah and what's your reason to love being sober today uh, my reason I think is I, I'm just I'm just happy I'm able to be a much more present individual for people in my life I think I'm just you know I'm, I'm much more reliable now in terms of things I'm, I'm, I'm more present in situations I'm not a hindrance I'm not um you know sort of someone who's maybe going to cause an issue at things um I think yeah again it's that just the fact that I'm able to to be a much much more integral part of, of even smaller the smaller society I guess of mm. in my life um is a huge thing for me um because that was one of the things that always held me back from sharing mentally as well I mean I'd never want to be a burden yeah I wouldn't want to be that sort of burden at all so 
and indirectly by not wanting to be a burden, I became a burden. So, <laughs> so it was so it was kind of. I mean, uh, again, obviously they 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 all they said maintain for support, which was which was huge. But yeah, not just. just but I think that's such an important. Yeah, I yeah. think it's such an important part, and you know that people will resonate with. It's like we stay silent because we don't want to, yeah, be a burden on other people. Yet you're not, you know, and people just want to, people just want to help. And and I think like I kept a lot of things secret for a really long time because I thought if I said them out loud, the impact they would have on other people, like I couldn't handle that they would have that knowledge and that that would cause them pain you know and it's like that's not my that's not out of my control and that's not my responsibility it's like they that they are able to be able to to hold that space you know and hold that for you because they love you you know and so yeah um just if you're listening you know reach out you're not alone and um there's always someone as as Harrison said that will be there to support you you know so and we're going to wrap up now Um, if you're immediately concerned about your drinking please do reach out reach out to Harrison reach out to us at Love Sober you know there's plenty of agencies for local support you know go on Alcohol Change the website um, talk to your doctor um, you know just reach out and um, it's been a brilliant conversation so thank you so much Harrison and um, we'll see you next week for more chat wonderful thanks for having me